Uh, hey, friends, welcome to the Regeneration Podcast. I'll jump to the point. Our guest is Larry Chap, but we'll do a little bit more of an introduction because Michael is signing on. And uh, many of you know Larry Chap. We'll have Larry introduce himself a little bit more in a few minutes. But continue on, Larry. You were talking about. I was just talking about uh, the fact that we have dairy goats and we have uh, sheep. We used to breed our sheep, but having to breed sheep means you have to have a, a sheep ram around. Amen. And and rams can be uh, dangerous. They can be nasty. In fact, two years ago, we finally got rid of our last two because one of them almost killed my wife. Wow. Uh, got her on the ground doing one of these up and boom, down and boom, down and boom, boom, boom. And wow. if I hadn't been there, I mean, she was flat on her back and the thing was fixing to kill her, Crazy. Uh, you know, and I mean, some rams are like that. Some rams yeah. will butt you just because they're territorial. Others are butting you because they want to kill you. And that's that. And uh, are, are rams sheep? Are they smelly too, like billy goats? No, no, okay. no. And if a ram, sometimes a ram is friendly, but never turn your back. This is my advice okay. to anybody yeah. listening. Never, ever, ever turn your back on a sheep ram, no matter how friendly you think he might be. Larry because Miller, you're a theologian. You're you're pretty tied into argument. But like, let's say somebody wanted to be on one of the most popular YouTube videos ever. I mean, the basic, the bread and butter of that medium is people ex doing exactly that. And they get a lot of likes. They get a lot of likes. They, but they've turned oh, their back on a ram or a billy goat and they get, they get rammed in the ass. That's right. Uh, some billy goats are nasty. But my, in my experience, 98% of buck goats, of billy goats, are are friendly their okay. chief their 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 chief downside is that they stink they, they really and they're dirty they, and they're dirty they're foul yeah, they're, they're dirty yeah. uh they urinate on themselves they drink their own urine they urinate on the girls uh they just love anything that is odiferous and okay. the the other bad thing is you have to really separate them from your does during milking season because the milk will start to taste like the bucks right uh, which is vile, absolutely vile. Yeah. But anyway, yeah. so yes, I own a farm. Yeah, and uh, for our listeners, I think we talked about it the first time you were on. Um, a little bit of your background. So it's a it's a Catholic worker farm, and give uh, give people a little bit of bio. I'm guessing ninety percent of our listeners know. Yeah. Okay. Well, I uh, was you know I got a PhD in theology at from Fordham University in 1994. I had been in the seminary for many years. Uh, but then decided to go on for theological degrees, then spent 20 years at DeSales University near Allentown, PA. Just so you as had a quite a legacy. But I say that only because your students are a big part of my life, you know, that's real to me. Yep. They're right up there. Uh, a lot of them at St. Bernard's yep. School of Theology. And oh, yeah, uh, between uh, uh, 20 years at DeSales University, my colleague, Dr. Rodney Hauser and I, uh, we did have something special going there for a while. We had, he and I had a sort of synergy between us. I guess that's the, the fancy word that they use, synergy. We're uh, live, Michael. Yeah, there's so Michael, yeah. Don't start yeah. cursing right away, Michael. We're live. You know. I will. Censor yourself. <laughs> very Continue good. Continue on, Larry. He's describing so, his life. So anyway, yeah, we, we were very successful at DeSales. And then in 2013, I decided that I needed to walk the walk and not just talk the talk. And I'd been talking about teaching Dorothy Day, Peter Moore and the Catholic Worker Movement, which I just fell in love with. Especially I fell in love with Peter Moran's agrarianism. I know Michael can can, can appreciate I this. Can identify. Yeah. And uh, decided, you know what, at age it was classic, you know, at age 55 when I retired, that's that age where you hit when you say, 
I can either continue on till death in what I'm doing now, or I can make the change now, because if I wait five years or 10 years, I'm not going to change. I'm just okay. going to be stuck, stuck where I am. So, you know, I talked with my wife and our friend, John Gribowitz, who was a former student and a seminarian. We pooled our money and we bought this Catholic worker farm near Harvey's Lake, PA, which is northwest of Wilkes-Barre, PA and northeast PA. And uh, it's, you know, if you remember the old show from the 60s, Green Acres, when Mr. Douglas bought the ramshackle farm for Mr. Haney called the Haney place, it was it was a horrible set of buildings. So that's that's what we could afford when we bought this farm. Uh, it was you know, what we discovered based on our income and what money we had was you had a choice when you bought a farm. You could either buy a really real a, a farm that had good land, useful for agriculture, but had a really terrible house. Or you'd find a farm that had a really nice house and land that was just all trees and yeah, rocks yeah. and, you know, uh, and if you found one that had a great house and great land, well, then I couldn't afford it. So we finally opted for a property that had great land and a terrible house. <laughs> so, yeah. well, you know, and so gradually over the past 10 years, we've turned the house into something vaguely livable within. But, hey, we're Catholic workers, so it kind of befits that we live in a in a sort of ramshackle hand to mouth situation here. And, and that's where we are. A, let me ask you a question about your land, because Michael knows a lot about land and it, it makes a difference to his livelihood. When we first met Larry, which was at the Abbey of the Genesee, had a great conversation, you and I and Carrie and the abbot, Father Isaac was involved in our conversations, mm -hmm. others. But um, at that point, you were saying, you know, what you discovered about your land, it's not like the land was bad, but you were you were saying, gosh, this is this is one drawback. What was that again? Well, what we discovered Two, two things about our land. I mean, when we bought it, we thought, oh, this is great land because so much yeah. of it was not covered in trees and not filled with rocks. So we oh, thought, yeah. this is great. Oh, but two okay. things yeah. we did discover about our land. Number one, the soil was not very fertile at all. Okay. Uh, so it's required it. yeah. Yeah. a great deal of amending with compost and other natural things to try. And I mean, seriously, the first year we planted 450 tomato plants and probably only about one fifth of them produced any kind of measurable mm. output of tomatoes. What 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 is really shocking, what people don't understand, and Michael can appreciate this, is how very difficult it actually is to grow produce. Because you have to have fertile soil, you have to be able to weed incredibly, you have to be able to hold down the insects to make sure, you have to be able to make sure that groundhogs and crows and and any other number of critters don't i remember our first year we planted all this sweet corn and it was just about ready to be plucked and then a one night a whole herd of <laughs> raccoons i've done it all on a smaller scale and even on a smaller scale like one third of an acre i have well and, you two, know, just a small yeah. part of it it's so painful it's so painful. two acres two like acres of sweet parenting corn. all over again one to night the gardening is to dance with death. boom gone yeah. You know, so but the main thing is, though, we had we discovered how much work was going to be required to and we're finally there to bring the soil up to snow. But the other thing that we discovered was that large parts of our land is uh, has a very, very because it, it's it's on a slope. The lower end is a very high water table. And so mm. it's very, very swampy. Okay. That's uh, what you so mentioned, too. Yeah. Yeah, very swampy. So it, it turned out to be only good for animals, livestock, uh, and not so much for growing things. Uh, 
Uh, but even with the livestock, of course, like right now, it's turned into a muddy hole yeah. from hell, uh, which is not good for the sheep or goats or anything like that. Yeah, yeah. So, but but the thing is, it's land and it's there and it's usable and it's 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 the land God gave to us, and it's the land we have embraced and much of it is very usable and and we we think there are a billion people on this planet that would love to have the land that I have. So I don't want well to complain. Said. Yeah, I don't want to complain about it too much. Michael, say something about land before we get all theological, uh, well, and historical, and religious, and Catholic. People don't understand how hard it is because it's not just the land; I mean, it's the fertility of the soil, which is a mm. big deal, right? Mm. But mm -hmm. the yeah. unpredictability of the weather. Oh you know? yeah. Um. So what? What for in twenty nineteen? It was twenty twenty. We had I we had frost really late and we had it really early we had it on the 19th of september and it took out two-thirds of our guard we still had three weeks of csa to go that was that was that sucked but uh but you know i mean i mean part of it is is learning the land and that's the i'd say the first yeah several years yeah. many years is just just figure out what what works here what doesn't work here what I need to do, so so our soil it also is uh, it tends toward to be being really sandy. So I've had to really build it up over the, over time, and I we too have a a lower spot that doesn't always get swampy, but it can get swampy. Doesn't it's not you know it doesn't do it every year, but one year it was flooded. We had so much rain that we, we were flooded out, yeah. and and so were the many of the farms around here actually. So, but there's that, and then you know you learn. And we actually uh, reclaimed this one. There was this one wild section of Russian stuff, fallen trees, and we turned it into a small pasture. But it takes me, you know, it's a lot of work. <laughs> it's, a lot, it's a lot of yeah. work. Sure and, is. You're talking about predictability, but uh, and, and you're both farming, we're going to say, in the Great Lakes region. But um, yeah. a good friend of mine, her name is Catherine Tumber, a student of the great Christopher Lash. She wrote a book called Small, Gritty, and Green. Real good front porch republic stuff. Uh, I worked under her at a research project. But the book is amazing. But it's it's based on the premise that the um, the mid the the Great Lake cities, you know, that could be the new Mediterranean, you know, with the rise and fall of civilizations. You know, it's fresh water, and you know, so her notion was Cleveland, Buffalo, all these old Rust Belt cities would be coming back, small, gritty, and green. Could we develop them, you know, with an intelligence as opposed to letting the left brain technocracy run the show? Anyhow, but I think it was in that book, and I don't know if this bears out since it was written a decade ago, but it was saying that, and Larry, I think we talked about this, is that predictability, you were both talking about unpredictability, mm -hmm. but with changing, we don't have to use the word global warming, but some people are saying, you know, that the changing weather in some sense, that still the Great Lakes, because there's these huge bodies of water, that they're a moderating influence so that Buffalo and surrounds where we are, even in upstate New York, the, the prices of land are going more and more because farmers can eventually get something to produce. But predictability is what they want the most. Now, it's by nature unpredictable still. But are, have you guys heard or do you think it's true that the Great Lakes are some of the more predictable? I don't think so. You don't think um, so? Okay. No, no I, I haven't heard that. Yeah. And... yeah. Um, and I'm not dying. On I do that think, well, I what what, what we okay. do have is a lot of fresh water. So yeah. 
you know, we have more than enough water, but it is yeah. unpredictable here. I mean, I remember just last year in May, May, I remember the, the two dates, May 20th and 21st, 2023. We did not just have a frost. We had a hard freeze. Yep. Mm -hmm. The temperature got down to 22 degrees, two nights in a row here. And there wasn't a fruit tree within 200 miles of where I lived that had anything on it that were the, it wasn't commercially yeah. grown and they had their heaters going and all that kind of, all the small time people like us, like I have a pear tree and a peach tree, no, an apple trees, nothing. We had nothing from them and none of my neighbors did either. That's the kind of, and, but you know what? That's the kind of thing where you just say, okay, no fruit this year. Uh, mm -hmm. and, right. and this year I'm, I'm going to, I'm going to have, but it's still million. so painful area. It's still yeah, so painful. it is very painful because yeah. I love yeah, the painful. pears and the peaches and the yeah. apples, yeah. but all in turn out, I, I, I just decided yeah. to grow more squashes that year. That's right. <laughs> that's great. You well, know? that's, I mean, that's the thing with farming. You have to be so flexible, you know, yeah, you, you, have to, you have to be able to adapt to changes and, and you know, people talk about global warming weather changes weather's always changing yeah. but i don't know if you guys know the the classic children's book farmer boy by laura mm -hmm. ingles wilder mm -hmm. and there that's in new york farmer farmer boys farmers and uh in that book i think it's the it probably takes place in the 1830s or 40s maybe a little later uh they have frost in the book on the 4th of july mm. <laughs> so they're out there before the dawn they're pouring water on all the corn so it doesn't get killed by the frost yeah oh it's so yeah. true i mean uh, sp speaking of the great lakes and unpredictability michael uh slaughter uh yeah. i went to uh, a meeting of the college theology society i guess this would have been about 20 2003 2004 it was in milwaukee so right on the great lakes and it was june 3rd june 4th whatever it was nobody came dressed for winter and yeah. yet it snowed and it was about 25 degrees and it was just awful for two days wind howling. And this yeah. was the first week of June. Yeah. I couldn't believe it. Yeah. We were all standing there in our short sleeve shirts. Going, what the hell? Happened? Well, you guys know that Philip Sherrard, you know, he, he's the yeah. translator. Yeah. The, yeah. Yeah. Great guy. He had that great book, the rap, the rape of man and nature. You know, it was written a long time ago. So talk about these books that kind of knew what was coming. But he would make the case when he used the metaphor, the rape of man and nature. He saw the technocracy kind of doing its job. And he he would say, you know, that the language of increasing warming isn't going to catch it. If you get the poetry of the world, when you mess too much in this relationship, what you're going to get is kind of crazy, you know, so a yeah. wild kind of revenge. Hey, can, and can, we, can, where, we, yeah, yeah. can we talk about this? Yeah, yeah. This global warming thing? Do it. Can we talk about this? Here's, here's, here's the problem that I have with the global warming thing. I have I have a couple do you. Yeah. huge problems. The mm -hmm. first problem that I have is this. The elites of our culture, which include government elites, corporate Amen, elites, brother. educational elites, all elites put together, they lie. They are freaking liars. They are manipulators liar, liar, of the liar, highest liar. order. Okay. Yeah. So there is absolutely not a shred of statistical evidence that would come from any of them that I would trust. And that would include the major research universities who prostitute themselves for federal money. And they know they're not going to get federal money by producing climate studies that say global warming is a, is a pile of hookah. 
Okay, they're going to cook the books to say otherwise. The second thing I want to point out is this: carbon Larry, dioxide. Carbon I'm dioxide. <laughs> carbon We're dioxide shocked. is not is evil. Yeah. Carbon dioxide is not yeah, evil. Right. We need carbon dioxide. Right now, <laughs> Larry runs out of gas. Please, please, people. Just well, no, I mean hydrogen. Well, I mean carbon dioxide. Well, that's the thing: is people, you know, act as if. Uh, what goes on in universities and colleges is all these people devoting themselves to altruism, which couldn't be further from the truth. <laughs> further from the truth. Yeah, yeah. Anybody um, that's ever worked for a university knows that. Yes, I know. Yeah. And especially they act like the sciences are so sacrosanct and they're the worst. <laughs> well, absolutely, because that's where the money is. Yeah. Uh, yeah. The humanities at least have no financial incentive whatsoever. They simply have the incentive of groupthink and the praise of of major media outlets and so forth. But the mass but the, the, the sciences have billions and billions of dollars at stake for their major research universities. And and glo the global warming uh, fraud proves proves that they're liars, and the COVID fraud proves that they're liars. We're and they're still lying. They're still lying about COVID. Francis Collins came out like a few weeks ago. Oh, mea culpa, mea culpa, mea maxima. Oh yeah, right. You know Good what? Line. You know what that was? That was a dude desperately trying to stay out of jail. That's yeah. what that. That's right. Because Francis Collins and name. I saw that video. Maybe I saw. Maybe you posted. It. I saw that video, but I haven't been able to recall his name, you know, I've shared it with some people where he's essentially saying like, man, you turn some scientists free on something. And we're like, you know, we're like dogs on a bone. We just focus well, on one thing. We don't, we don't care. So sorry if we ruined your lives, but, and I, if, boy, I would do it differently if I could, but all we did, it was like when Andrew Cuomo said to save one life, you know, uh, we'll do everything. We'll tear down all of civilization. And then they, well, they get off scot-free. Well, then not only did he not save just one life, he shipped all the old COVID patients back to their nursing homes <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. where they where, the, where everybody caught COVID. Right. <clears throat> and here's the thing with, with Francis Collins. Don't even get me started with this guy. Uh, there were, and this is a lot while ago. This is long before COVID. Um, Catholic media would would parade that guy out because, look, oh, yeah. Yeah. he's a Christian and he's a scientist. Not a Christian scientist, but he's a Christian, and it's, and I wasn't buying it then, right? And <laughs> it's like that. I don't know if you know. There's a scene in Richard the Third by. You're really good on that theme, brother Michael. Yeah, Richard the Third is a, and all these people is a slimy creep, and what happened? He he's he's killing people left and right so he can ascend to the throne, and then he he orchestrates it where they're going to come and and talk to him and say, "Would you like to be king? We we need you." And he's he's got this whole phony thing. Sorry, I was at prayer, you know, and that's what I get with Francis Collins and all these people. You get this, you know, this false piety and then the Catholic media yeah. sucks it up, sucks yeah. it up. Yeah, and, Francis uh, Collins is a big eugenics guy. I know. You know, he's all in the genetic the research. I was, I, here's why I was dubious of Francis Collins from the get-go. And maybe we can share notes, Michael. And it's, and it's this, I, I read an article that said he came to believe in God and Christianity because in his studies of genetics or whatever it was, he, it was essentially an intelligent design argument that he, yeah. he couldn't for the life of him figure out how this just all happened through blind random processes. And therefore it was a kind of God of the gaps 
God that he came to believe in. So in other words, he had still a largely empirical cast of mind. Reality is defined utterly in what is quantifiable. Truth or falsehood is adjudicated based on strict evidences of the scientific method and so on and so on and so on. And I just thought, well, you know what? You're going to have a hard time negotiating spiritual growth in your Christian faith if that's your mentality. Yeah. And sure enough, down the pike, as soon as I saw he was involved with Fauci and the and the COVID fakery, then I knew, well, OK, the, the, this guy is as fraudulent as they come. And it's absolutely true. Larry, and you know what? And the, I, you didn't watch the video, Mike Sauter, but but mm-hmm. the, the fact is what he essentially said in the video, what he blamed it on was this was the that they had blinders on you. You alluded yeah, to it, yeah, yeah, but it yeah. wasn't just scientific blinders like, oh, we were so focused on covid and the protocols. No, he also said we had inside the beltway blinders that we were just so wow, yeah, yeah, much yeah. a part of this insulated super group important of, of, yeah. of super important power brokers that in so many words, he said it kind of went to our heads and we just we started pushing all the chess pieces around like we were some sort of grand yeah, master heads. Yeah. And crazy. Well, and he was he was the, the, the guy who was behind trying to shut down the Great Barrington Declaration. Right. Yeah. Yes. And he was calling these eminent scientists from 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 Harvard, Stanford, Stanford. Oxford, fringe scientists. And he I've always known of that guy. Money. I just didn't Can't know. I, and I always yeah. disliked the guy. I just didn't know he was part of that kind of smarmy. Um, I'm, a, I'm a Christian and a scientist thing. I had no oh idea. God, so we had, I can say this. Yeah, the, the smartest thing. The smartest, and this is where faith plays a role, and I'm serious about this, where a, a deep Catholic faith plays a role. The, the smartest thing I think I ever did in my life, other than getting married to my beautiful wife, was that I did not take the COVID vaccine. Because there was a huge part of me <laughs> that said, you don't develop a vaccine under the title Operation Warp Speed. And it was in an election year, and the last thing in the world the fraudulent Trump wanted was for COVID to destroy the economy so that he would not get the credit for the Trump economy and so on. I just knew there's something that stinks about this entire thing, that I did a little bit of reading on mRNA vaccines and realized it's not a vaccine, it's genetic therapy. Then I had friends who had side effects from it, and I said, nope, I'm not taking the damn thing. No way. Now it turns out probably by the latest estimates I've read, about 20 million people worldwide were killed by the vaccine. Yep. That's what I'm saying. And I just actually, I just saw a video this, <laughs> this afternoon uh, from the Children's Health Defense, whatever thing it's called, Robert F. Kennedy Jr.'s thing. And they were interviewing uh, an undertaker. And she mm-hmm. was talking about what she has seen since uh, spring of 2021, which this incredible increase in infant deaths, young people deaths. And that they can no longer get the embalming fluid what they would used to do they would they would cut this artery over here and they would put in the, the hose and, and and flush the embalming fluid through the system they can't do it like that they have to go they have to put i don't know six seven eight uh needles in at different parts of the body because they're all uh, their arteries are clogged it's coagulated. my youngest son just yeah. started uh working in the funeral home industry so what i'll do is I, I've heard the same thing and I buy it, Michael, totally. But I'll put him on that with like the local embalmers too to say, you know, um, verify. Because uh, I've definitely heard that too. You know, I'm not super close to it, but now I am a little bit. You stay on this, 
but we've got two areas of segueing. You know, one is the technocratic paradigm as it applies to the environment, Dr. Chap. And the other one would be, um, oh, vaccines are a sign of love, which is Michael Martin's uh, favorite sentence ever, I think. Um, but both relate to Pope Francis and Larry Chap, who, you know, you might define. That's you know, why first I threw of all, my let me cards say, in. Yeah. Larry Chap, people need to know he writes. Uh, he actually writes quite well. He writes for many magazines. He's got a He's got a YouTube channel. He's got YouTubes like this that some people know about, but he's really known for is a book on science and religion that yeah. I think for everyone who's ever heard of his smaller writings or of his uh, interviews and so forth, probably a couple hundred thousand have bought in your book on science and religion, Larry. Is that the fact? I, I think it's the last time I checked, maybe, you know, like a hundred thousand or something like that worldwide, cool. especially since it went paperback. Oh, so you uh, are getting, you've traditionally, I was teasing you a little bit because you complain about how poorly it does, but you're well, getting traction now. Okay. That's well, cool. yeah, well, it went paperback God, yeah. 15 years ago now. So I don't think it's, I, I'm joking now because I don't yeah. think, I don't think it's selling anything anymore. Yeah, okay, and, it. and, you know, I don't think it's, I think it's largely forgotten. In fact, it may be out of print for all yeah, I know. You're famous for kind of saying nobody's ever heard of that book. So Yeah, yeah. But um, well, at Larry, first nobody I, had. At first yeah. nobody had. When it oh, was good, in good. the hard, when, when first you know, academic books, TNT Clark, it came out in hardback. It was nine million dollars, yeah. and only libraries bought it, and Michael's so nobody looking read it. for it on his library. Yeah. I think. Oh, I thought he was looking for it on his library. Larry, yeah. say. But anyway, yeah. I, the, the point of my book. Themes. Okay, or the book, or we can move to Pope Francis. Tell us about your book. Oh well, no, simply the the, the book, the 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 essence of it was precisely what we're talking about here, which was yeah. it was kind of doing an intellectual genealogy of modernity, especially with regard to the history of metaphysics, to show how it was that science did not modern science did not have to take the technological turn that it took. It didn't have to take the Baconian turn that it took. Uh, there were already voices within medieval Renaissance and Baroque Catholicism. <clears throat> they were arguing for a different kind of scientific paradigm, Nicholas of Cusa on forward. Sure, sure. All right. And that it didn't have to be this reductionistic, materialistic uh, sort of format and so forth. Uh, and then, of course, along comes. So by, by the end of the book, my point is simply that we absolutely need science and science is a wonderful thing, but we need to embed it in a completely different metaphysical mentality about yeah, what yeah. it's about. Yeah. Otherwise, it's going to destroy us. Uh, it, let's pull it down to this. If you don't accept the God of Jesus Christ, you are going to run into trouble in how you end up applying science. Let's Amen. put it that way. Right. And that's actually my work covers the same territory, but it from does. a slightly different direction where, where it's split from scientific materialism in the 17th century and what we can call the alternative modernity that ran in the other direction. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. And those guys at the beginning of the, the alternative modernity, and I'm thinking of figures like Robert Flood and Thomas Vaughn and others yeah. in the 17th century, they res were resisting where that was going, Descartes, they, they were resisting all of that because they wanted to maintain the Christian metaphysics that was right. thrown out. And they weren't going to do that, right? Yeah, it's there in the and Silver I, Age theologians, Michael, too. And, you know, and that's well, it's a third stream, you know, where they just in Russia, they just weren't caught up in the, you know, the the terms of the debate handed on at least to Americans, which closely mirrors Europe, as I understand it. You know, uh, 
Darwinians versus like mental Cretans. But in the U.S., it was the Scopes trial, right? Where in Russia, they just oh, didn't, yeah. they weren't caught up in the, the terms no. of the debate. So they, they saw Darwin for who he was. Therefore, you know? I actually, uh, I don't deal with it in my book at all, but I wish I had. If I were to rewrite it, there'd be a whole chapter or two on it, which would be the absolutely critical role played by, even though they have metaphysical deficiencies, the romantics. Uh, we love the those rom- guys. Yeah, the romantic tradition was essentially a backlash <laughs> against all of that garbage. Okay. Uh, so unfortunately, they didn't have the sort of metaphysical tools, uh, you know, to really to set down lasting roots. Let's put it that way. Mm-hmm. But there is such, and I, and I would even put someone like Goethe within that yeah. romantic uh, that romantic tradition. We yeah, find him to be the foundation. More than the others, pushed back against the scientific paradigm of his time. Right? Yes, he absolutely did. Absolutely, yeah. which is yeah. why, yeah, I brought him up because my my hero von Balthasar was much more into Goethe than he was into Kant, whereas right. Rahner was into everything. Kant. Yeah, yeah. Okay, yeah. By the way, I first saw that in your buddy Rodney House there's article at Front Porch Republic on von Balthasar. He made that That's distinction. Right. Yeah. Yeah. Speaking of farming, I don't know if you heard me saying go shoot it. <laughs> my no, son, what was it? My, my son just came in there. Dad, there's a gigantic possum in the chicken coop. What should I do? Shoot it. Shoot it. Okay. Yeah. So shoot it. Oh, a big possum. I'm sorry, you know, all you uh, Peter kill, fans out there. Yeah, do, do you have uh do you have horses, Michael? No. Okay, because the reason why I bring it up is my sister has horses out in Nebraska where I'm from. And uh absolutely shoot possums. Because possums, if they get into your hay, uh, their their urine and their fecal matter contains a bacteria that's wow. absolutely it's lethal to horses, absolutely lethal to horses. So everyone listening out there, possums yeah. do some good things. They eat snakes and things like that, but overall they're nasty and vile critters. But well, they also remind us to take it a little more slowly in life, Larry. Um, <laughs> yeah. But anyway, back back to the romantics and science. Yeah. Speaking and speaking of von Balthazar, yeah, yeah. And possums. and possums. Yeah. So, so uh, anyway. you've, you've been writing a lot about Pope Francis recently. You've been yeah, yeah. About, yeah, I, I don't like him. Hey, Larry, yeah. I got to ask you a question. What the hell is going on? <laughs> <laughs> well, I, uh, I, I, you know, did you see the, the statement that the Pope came out? It was either today or yesterday. He gave a speech. Yeah, he gave a speech to the Vatican Press Corps and he thanked them. For, for the uh, what he called the delicacy of how they treat all the scandals in the church, because there's so many and he thanks them. He goes, even for what some might think is their shameful level of secrecy. I, I thank you for all of this. You know what? That's it for me. Yeah. Absolutely. Because not, not only, therefore, is this pope uh, an absolute underminer of, of traditional orthodoxy, he's a moron. He's yeah. a complete moron because only a profoundly, studiously, meticulously, cultivatedly stupid person would say such a thing in the face of the sex crisis, abuse crisis the church has faced now for over 20 years. And for you the read Pope, Italian, Larry, you read Italian. So you're you're not saying somebody couldn't say, hey, I think that's just the English translation or something. No, the translation, the translation was fine. Okay. You mentioned secrecy and lots of people. It's now it's it's going across the internet like wildfire right now. Okay. And what what I said on X or Twitter was what this displays is a tone deafness that is absolutely stupefying in in its moronic nature. And it's also cruel. 
it's cruel insofar as it displays an absolute insouciance towards the pain that the Catholic faithful have felt over the past 20 or more years over the sex abuse crisis. For him to be thanking the press for their secrecy in these matters is tantamount to saying we want and we will continue to cover this up. All right. So here, here, I got to drop a bomb here. Now, Bob. Mike, that was a pretty big bomb. But yeah, our, our buddy Guido Preparata, who worked at the Gregorium mm-hmm. for yeah. a while, his his take on this, and this is, goes back, and it's in his book, uh, Empire and Church, that he he interprets that there was a deal cut someplace along the line between, we can call it the World Economic Forum or the bad guys or whoever it is, and the Vatican saying, okay, we'll lay off on the sex scandal stuff as long as you play ball with us. And uh-huh. and that's exactly what I saw through the COVID thing, the Pope and so many quarters of the church. Oh, because it started with the bombing of Iraq, right? The bombing of Iraq when John Paul II said, don't do it. Boom, Boston Globe. Um, mm-hmm. So when you track those things, there's kind of a beginning and an end. Um, and I, I work, lately, I work on two fronts. It's like somebody who... There's some instincts about him that I really like. And I see somebody, two things. And one came of a conversation with a monk, Larry. But it would be, and you know the, you know, you know, John Paul II. I, part of this is from a campus ministry perspective, too. So the idea would be, if this telling of the tale is that, if you think of Pope Benedict, again, you know, what a mind, what a mind, what a mind. John Paul II, phenomenology, theology, the body. Still, this person was saying, you know, it kind of took off. It was it was up here hanging and that somebody was going to eventually have to land the plane, you know, and that's just going to be Rocky. That, that spoke to me to a certain extent, but in campus ministry, it did, it mapped on that theology of the body was so, um, his addresses are one thing better than maybe the popularizations, Christopher West. There's other Jason Everett who did it better than West. It's still kind of funny to me because when you're living the reality, when you bring it down, you just, it was kind of creating a culture that seemed odd to me. It was living through, the great Christopher Lash, who I mentioned, you know, talked about the rationalization of everyday life, that we all come from families. You know, and if a social scientist yeah. came in and studied our family, we start raising families in the image that the social scientist sees it. We rationalize things. And yeah. theology of the body, when it came down, you know, it's just like, sex is so beautiful. We're going to, when I get I married, I'm going to like do it. It's going to be beautiful. And nothing about it is funny because it's just so beautiful nothing you know and so even in that area you know the plane had to land more in some of the other ones and um you know but i see you know the preparata thesis i almost think you have a guy who and they would tell the story is that like the people who elected pope benedict they said we'll give your your side how would they say it we're going to give you 10 more years do your thing make it happen and if not we're going to put in our guy in some way and there was there could have been some leverage but that at one point i think you have this kind of combative Pope Francis, who quote unquote, and the evidence Preparato wanted to use for this, he said, there's going to be some unfolding scandals still. But he said, you're going to mark my words that this like deed was signed. And we can use this language that the Catholic Church just kind of agreed in this line of thinking to be the Catholic Charities Wing, the Caritas Wing of the New World Order. You know, we'll just handle Ebola. We'll go along with even the lies of Ebola and AIDS and, or whatever. And but, we'll say getting the vaccine is an act of love. Yeah, right, right, right. And at the same time, I think he's trying to blow the whole thing up from the bottom up in an epical change, part of which I very much, very much like. 
one of the things, Larry, and because this will set you off on, not set you off temperamentally, but a lot of your themes is that you know me pretty well. And I took a new job this summer. And one of the ones is uh, running the synod. We're dealing with two communities. I run all the migrant ministries for the diocese. We also kind of run the remains of the office for the synod. And as an Anglo, you know, 84% of Mexicans have Mestiza blood. You know, you could say that's not relevant or not. But the uh, what I noticed is the Anglo communities, all of us, you know, we still just brought this European Catholicism over. We haven't made it American yet. You know, Vietnamese Catholicism is so different, yet recognizably the exact same Filipino, Mexican Catholicism. I think most of the American thing in both of its wings is still this unforeign globulation on, on our land. And the real one is coming, Our Lady of Guadalupe. But the synodality- well, That's because there's no such thing as American culture. You're talking about in those other cultures, people that have real cultures. The reason we why there's talk no about the theme of it, what the theme would be, I think, using Ivan Illich, using, you know, the best of it, Johnny Appleseed, Walt Whitman. The theme would be liberty. And I think that's the theme. Russia's going to have it first, but it's those themes of Dostoevsky, you know, from the bottom up. We have young people, Larry, who I'm so amazed at them. They use the phrase when they're talking about mental health, which is taking out a whole generation. And they're saying the only way out is through. The only way out is through. I'm like, wow, where'd you guys hear that? Because well, that is I just go ahead. Yeah. Absolutely correct. Several things. First off, cool. you cool. will find no bigger fanboy of Pope John Paul II than moi. He is right. my ecclesiastical hero going yeah. back to my first days in seminary when he was first elected. So in other words, those are my bona fides as a jump. But I have never, ever been a big fan of the theology of the body. Okay, yeah. And, yeah. and, and here's why. Because I think it flirts too much with the the with sex magic uh as gavin ashenden had a great article in the recent catholic herald on fernandez's sex magic book where where essentially there's too close an analogy drawn between orgasm and mystical ecstasy uh the entire the entire impetus of, 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 of biblical revelation is against the notion of imaging God and human sexualized cat. Yes, there's nuptial categories and so on. Song of songs. There's all this sort of sort of quasi sexual stuff in the tradition. But overall, the tradition has been, especially the biblical tradition, to shy away from overt connections between human sexuality and our image of the divine. And, and I think that John Paul opened up a can of worms in this regard. And I met too many of my own students who were in that age of promiscuity and so on, who were so smitten with Chris West and JP2's Theology of the Body. And they had this angelistic notion of, like you just said, it's going to be great. It's going to be wonderful. I'm going to be part of the Trinity as I'm, you know, I'm bouncing around <laughs> on bed with my spouse. All right. And then the reality is part of the Trinity. Yeah. The reality is none of that's true. None of that crap's true. All right. The reality is sex makes babies and I already have 10. Yeah. Okay. It, you know, and, and the reality is I don't want no more babies. And the reality is my, my husband is fat and repulsive now, and I'm going through menopause and to hell with it. Now, yeah. see, and, 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 and that's, that's the harsh reality of marriage. Right. Mm -hmm. And I'm not trying to paint an overly negative. So my, my point is that, okay. I, I've never been a big fan of, of the theology. I've always been perfectly content with old-fashioned, natural law to mystic theologizing about human sexuality. It's inadequate. It doesn't deal with a subjective pull enough. It doesn't deal with the phenomenology of the sex act enough. But you know what? I don't want the church doing that crap anyway. Let somebody else do that. All right. 
basic outlining the basic teleology of the sex act from a Christian point of view in a Thomistic category is plenty for me. I'm good with that. So that's where I stand now with regard to Pope Francis and, and somebody had to have the, the landing. My thinking is this, okay? I agree with you, Mike. I mean, at first, uh, like I, I read his book, his, his encyclical and evangelization and stuff, and I was kind of all jazzed up because I thought, okay, here's a guy who gets the notion uh, of Romano Guardini that the true believer lives in the threshold between heaven and earth, mm-hmm. uh, or what, what philosophers call the metaxis, the in-between, that we are in between, and therefore the saint of modernity. In the modern world, I'm much writing about this now, the saint in the modern world has to be someone who grasps the in-between, which means we grasp the nettle of the monster that we face in modernity and what it has done to human subjectivity and, 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 and human psyche. And therefore, as you know, in campus ministry, and I knew it as a teacher, Michael knows it in his, in his dealings with people. All right. You really, it's a cliche, but you have to meet people where they are. However, however, the metaxis, those in the in-between have to be able to maintain the tension, which means bottom line is you have to be a person of deep, profound Christological faith. And the entire thing is simply going to crash and burn as an exercise in false latitudinarian compassion, where anything goes. <clears throat> if your attitude is simply, we're going to meet people where they are and bless where they are, and we're going to leave yeah. it at that. Mm-hmm. And that that's so Pope Francis didn't land the airplane, he crashed it, he crashed it, because he put his trust and he put his, he, he stuck all of his eggs in the basket of people like Holerich and James Martin and McElroy and Supich and Tobin and every other revisionist, revisionist, latitudinarian, secularist, clerical dung beetle that he could find to surround himself with. <laughs> tell, tell me about the Metaxu then. In that sense, because so much of that made sense is when you said you're going to need that Christological faith. Um, I was thinking today, a, a dear friend, Michael, we had him on the podcast, a dear, dear friend, uh, Father Ed Dillon, the most amazing person I had never met. We had him on the podcast, priest of the Roster Diocese, um, a model for me in so many ways. The French novelist Jean Sullivan, who Joseph Kinneen would say, the um, you know probably the heir to Bernanos in French uh, Catholic arts and letters. But uh, right. he he was Sullivan was always hunting for again a new kind of sanctity. And uh, just as a parenthetical one, he called it the rebel. You know, the rebel he needs he doesn't want to command or obey. You know, he uh, he's the he's the product of secret wounds. But oh my the, god, I'm writing an article about this right now. So not on yeah. that author, but on this topic. So go yeah, ahead. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So a new kind of sanctity. And um, so, but what I got, you know, in Father Ed, he would go. He was, you know, sent to the North American College, the Gregorian, the Pontifical Institute. You know, preternaturally brilliant. As uh, you know, I'm sad thinking about him. He just died this weekend. As a high schooler, I don't know. I could say a line from Shakespeare. He'll finish the play, um, and then I would say, "Father Ed Dillon, you, uh, our our teachers told us if we learned Shakespeare too young, we would miss it. Why did you continue on with your reading?" And he said, "I loved the sex and violence. You know, this guy was free. <laughs> this guy was free, and he was hyper brilliant. Uh, people would go up to him and say, "Father Ed, Father Ed, what are you reading?" And he would say, uh, uh, Agatha Christie and the complete nonsense poems of Lewis Carroll, and he'd go to a recitation of Jabberwocky and every other poem. But uh, the point being, Father Ed could go into Attica, and he said there was worse ones than Attica. You know, I could go, I'm somebody, and I think this is a way to get at spirituality, because I want to ask you what you mean in the Metaxu. Um, Gerald Hurd, who's an author I've been reading a lot, 
you know, he would say, almost you could use servants of God, friends of God, sons of God, that a servant, a saint would know, you know, they're a different order of being, but they would look at Jesus and they'd have the authority to say, this guy is like, whoa. That being said, I think we need to know more about this because I can go in, in campus ministry, somebody who has anxiety coming out their ears, I believe, I don't know where it came from, but more from conversation than lacrimose prayer, more from, but I can help them calm down or severe OCD attack, depression. But if I met somebody like Silence of the Lambs, his evil would be bigger than my holiness for shizzle, right? And so, you know, we're asking why isn't the Roman Catholic Church producing more of these people? AI, you know, comes in. You guys are quick. AI, the, the basic thought is we've we've let our right brain atrophy so much that you know, it's our fault that this stuff is starting to mimic and mirror almost exactly human thought. Only some poets seem to be, you know, and more than that. But it's the same type of thing. We the, Tell me more about this metaxu, because when we just, if it becomes jargon, what this holiness looks like, you know, um, I think we're going to lose the students because I think you make a lot of sense. But for hanging some words out there when it was too untethered to the ground, Nobody knew what to do with that stuff is my allegation. Yeah, I, I'm, and Michael can chime in on this as yeah. well. I mean, I, I, I'm on record as saying that we need to make Christianity weird again. Mm -hmm. uh, it needs to be rewilded. Uh, I think, um, what's his name has said that. Um, Don, Mike, I mean, uh, yeah, uh, Paul Pinksnorth. Right? Yeah, yeah, exactly. We yeah. need to rewild Christianity. We need to make Christianity weird again. Now, that doesn't make a good for good MAGA acronym hat. Mm -hmm. Well, let's make Christianity weird again. Uh, but we and I and this is part of what I'm talking about. If you're going to live in the metaxa, if you're going to live in the in between, and I, I, I'm I'm convinced that this new form of sanctity that is emerging is going to show up first in people that we would consider ecclesial outliers. Uh, not even necessarily, yeah, yeah. yeah, the rebel. Exactly. That's why I'm so very interested in, in what you're talking about. And, and I don't mean people that are heterodox and tilting at the windmill of things like women's ordination. And can we just have the pill, please? Because that's just all nodding to the 100%. zeitgeist. Yeah. All right. What, what, to be truly weird in the sense that I'm talking about means you've, you've got to be absolutely bizarre to everybody. And, 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 and so I'm thinking of outliers like a Simone Vi or uh, a Madeleine Delbrel, uh, a Dorothy Day, uh, people that that were that were in, like in the case of Simone Weil, uh, not even really in the church, although she was. I think she was deeply in the church, just not in a standard not way. Technically, yeah, mm -hmm. not technically, but these I think are the kinds of saints that we're going to find today because it, it's it's a dangerous business that only those deeply immersed in the faith can engage in of bracketing your faith and entering into empathetically and compassionately the realm of disbelief, angst, ennui, despair, anxiety, right. the bottomless abyss of things, meaninglessness, nihilism, to really enter into that so one can take it into oneself vicariously, suffer it through for the other, and then in some sense become a living embodiment of living through it, as you just said. Mm -hmm. you, you, you can't go around modern nihilism. You can't go above it, below it, or around it. You have to go through it. And that's going to require a kind of sanctity that's different than, than what we've seen before. I think you're, all, you're beginning to see hints of it already, you know, 
with with someone like a Therese of Lisieux, whose diaries start talking about her deep temptations to atheism, or in Mother Teresa's diaries. After it's there in Francis de Sales. Francis de Sales as well. Behind doilies and hidden. things, it's totally there. Yeah. That's right. You see it. You see it there. The hidden, unspoken um, experience of unbelief, the experience of despair and anxiety uh, that is nevertheless somehow embedded in the faith. Now, I'm not trying here. I want to be very careful about this because this you can get into this with certain forms of hyperkenotic theologies. I'm not valorizing despair, unbelief, these sorts of dark things. I'm not valorizing them at all. Uh, but what I am going after is the mischaracterization that says those things have nothing to do with faith. And, 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 and that if we understand Christ's crucifixion and his descent into hell and understand and meditate, and as Balthazar does, on the deep, deep, deep dive that Christ does kenotically in the incarnation, then you will understand what is involved in the human Christian vocational sharing in that. And, and that's going to require us to be very plastic in our understanding of how people are affiliated with the church. All right. And that to me is the reason I get upset with Pope Francis. It seems like these clowns in Rome and his allies have mistaken this with simply throwing holy water on the sexual revolution. And, and, and that is about as superficial as the opposite trad extreme of saying we just need more Latin and everything's going to be fine. Um, I'm just, uh, you know, I'm constantly pissed off at everybody. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> me too. So anyway, Michael. You, Michael, uh, you, yeah. yeah. Well, no, I think you're right. I mean, I, I've been I've been saying it's got to get weird again for a long time now. And I, I would add Rosemary Houghton to your to your mm -hmm. list. She's great. She was I thought I love her. I mean, she's but she it, but I would say with all those figures you mentioned and with Rosemary Houghton, it's not only. Well, they have courage. Every I mean, Simone Weil, yeah. I mean, talk about totally. a courageous woman, um, but the courage to face the nothing right yeah. and this is i mean it's a, it's a it's a it's a mythological theme it's what happens in the lord of the rings right you have to you have you can't go around mount doom you have to go through it mm -hmm. right and but also the, where the weirdness is and, you, and is uh, Can, oh, i'm going to interrupt you for a second michael because there are many fellow followers of lord of the rings that say oh well why didn't they just fly on the eagles to mount doom <laughs> uh, but but that's exactly why and you've nailed it you've nailed it so go ahead but I, uh but the other part of where i where i think we're, we're we're coming or where where we might be at and this is i think this has always been the the, the tension in the catholic church is uh I, we have to be on the verge of deinstitutionalization. I think it's involved. I do. You know, and yes, and yes. And, and it's and it's not anything. That, I mean, because I think it's been institutionalization has been exacerbated in the modern era because of mass communication and and now even instant communication. And if you compare um, this kind of this bottom up model rather than a top down model. Which is what Francis is trying to hold on to, the top down. I is, think he's paradoxical. You go to the Middle that, Ages, go to the, go to the prior to the Reformation. Um, nobody in Ireland knew what the heck was going on in Rome or cared, right? People out right. in the countryside they had, may not even know who the Pope was, right? And it didn't matter. 
it didn't matter and that's that's the um so I, I think if the catholic church is to flourish in the future it will have to it'll have to be due to a relinquishment of power i mean in fact i was right yesterday we were talking talking with the kids uh we did the, we read uh the the healing of the centurion son and i said it's an interesting with jesus you know i mean you ever is there a part in the new testament where jesus uh give somebody a penance <laughs> or it needs to have explained what the case, what this, what this history of the case is. No, not once, but what happened through the, the course of, of Christian history, I think it started with Tertullian who was a giant asshole. Uh, yeah. With people who lapsed after under the, the tortures of Diocletian, I think it was. So what are they going to do with these guys? They caved. And Tertullian didn't want to let them back in, but they had to find a way to get them back in. And so they, they invented penance. Uh, but but the other thing that is, it it kind of ensures uh quality control from from the from the from the middle managers. Where if a really wild Christianity, I don't think would do that. It would it would be more it would well like jesus like the G, the jesus movement you know, it would be more from the from the bottom up that was illich's contention spreading out this way mm -hmm. and that that's what i think I, mean, I don't know how it's going to happen or manifest or, or if it can but i think that's well what has to involve mode. it's got an illich does talk about it, is it has to involve the 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 detaching huh. of the deep connection between sacramental vision of life and the institutionalization of those sacraments mm -hmm. uh that there's there's nothing at all wrong with doctrines like apostolic succession holy orders sacraments i accept all of those things but i think what you're talking about is so true michael the, this need to disengage that framework from the institutional muck in which it has gotten inextricably bound up over the centuries and you say it's got to divest itself of power i would add it also has to divest itself and this is the catholic worker in me speaking of wealth because those two things those two things go together now some would say oh the church isn't wealthy it's all in real estate and you know after all the church needs its hospitals and its schools and its parish buildings and so on that's that's uh, that's somewhat true I think it's somewhat mm -hmm. true, mm -hmm. but it's not the whole story, not by a long shot. Yeah. One of the things that the sex abuse Christ showed us was that, hmm, dioceses actually had millions and millions of dollars in real estate holdings that nobody knew about, mm -hmm. that they suddenly liquidated to pay off the hundred million dollar in lawsuits that, uh, yeah. that, that, that came their way. <clears throat> like, Larry, oh, when you're, you? when you're, when you're talking about, uh, an interest in sanctity, just as a side note, of interest to me when I think about it. Again, I'll I'll send you some stuff on this, John Sullivan. I think he's the guy. Please do. Yeah. Please do. But the uh, it, Owen Barfield had a he had an insight in saving the appearances that when we look at history, we don't need or we could use them the Spenglerian take or whatever. But he would say different di different epochs have contrastingly a new needful thing and a new besetting sin. Isn't that funny? It's a fun way that's illuminating to me. So right now he said like where we're headed, we have to be aware that the, the, the needful thing is imagination. The besetting sin is a certain form of literalness. 
So he was warning, like, if your artists are making art that has like a woman's left breast as a motorcycle, be careful what you're doing because you're creating that world when you do that. You know, and I think, again, left, right is still probably how we use all the politics where for Pope Francis, he's that guy. He's an authoritarian who wants to think about the bottom up. He's pretty good on this stuff. But how do you do it? I do. I do. I think that's his. Uh, he's Janus faced, I see. Where I think he's that's that's his act. It's an yeah. act. I yeah. believe that Pope Francis uh-huh. is a monumentally vindictive asshole. That's what I think. And I know I get in trouble when I say things like that publicly. Oh, my goodness, Dr. Larry Chap uh, is called the Pope of Vindictive Ass. At one we other should have video, that for the title of the, of the show. You know, and I did I did another video with yeah. Kale Zeldin where I said, I believe that the Pope is mendacious. Uh-huh. Uh, and people say that is a terrible public thing for a theologian to say about the, the, the Holy Pontiff and so on. And I agree. And I would simply point out the following thing. And I've said this in other videos. We have a holy father and we owe him respect, but we do not owe him morally the respect even that we owe our own mothers and fathers. There is in the Decalogue the commandment, honor your father and your mother, and that's an absolute moral norm. You may never dishonor your mother and your father according to the Ten Commandments. But if I, what if I have an abusive father? What if my father beats my mother? What if he rapes my sister? How do I honor him? I honor him by outing him. I honor him by stopping him. I honor him by calling the police and having the courage to call him out. That's how I honor him. I'm honoring his role as my father and not the man, the sinner that he has become. And that's the way I feel about Pope Francis. He's our holy father, but he's become an abusive and cruel one. And so I, I, I don't, I don't mind I, for the first five or six years of his papacy. I gave him every benefit of the doubt. I defended him left and right, here. Uh, but he has, he has bent too many. Let's, let's take the last, well, to me, the straw that broke the camel's back, fiducia supplicans, all this talk. And this goes to what Mike, Mike Martin was just talking, you know, alluding to fiducia supplicans, right? All his talk, all Pope Francis's talk, which is just talk about, oh, the poor, los pobres, oh, the peripheries, the (laughs) margins, oh. But I'm going to issue a document that's going to make it almost impossible for African Catholics to evangelize in Africa against the Muslims and against the Pentecostals, who are now going to come to the Catholic Church in Africa and say, we told you that your church was just a gay-loving church of pedophile priests. We told you that that's what it was. And this is what the African bishops right now are saying. They're saying, how could you throw us under the bus like this? What do you think on that, though, Larry? Do you think the document itself, like a lot of sane people, and I happen to agree with them, say, not that it's crystal clear, but we now have a huge valence on, you know, dirty versus clarity, but we need to own that. But the um, a lot of people say he just didn't change, you know, overtly, he didn't change her teaching. You know, two things about that, because I mean, but the the notion of <laughs> James Martin he, thought he did. <laughs> was he troll? Yeah, yeah, that's on James Martin. You know, again, I'm this is where. No, no, no. Type of, yeah, you disagree. That That's but on Fernandez. You think he changed, uh, you think he well, let me put teaching. it this. Let, let me put. No, he didn't change church. Then teaching. I think he the cardinals and the bishops of our church would be able to look, understand that. Look, look, no, they don't. And here's the deal yeah. is this. Uh-huh. Anybody in the Vatican, including the Pope, who didn't understand how that document was going to be spun in popular consciousness has got to be the most obtuse, culturally (laughs) obtuse person on the face of the earth. 
as, as Michael just pointed out, James Martin certainly got the memo as he immediately the next day ran off and called the New York Times for a photo op. Has James Martin been called on the carpet? Has, been, has he been booted off the Senate on synodality? Has he been booted out of his Vatican office and his cushy Vatican job? No, he has not. All right. And, and, and I, I don't I don't see how they could have avoided. That, the, I think I think a public rebuke or something to clarify that. But again, this is that I know. But the John Allen notion that the pope doesn't wake up thinking about America all the time, but we think he secretly does. He festers on it. That being said, well, it's not just America. It's worldwide. Yeah. yeah but the um, the notion that Jim Martin did that is different. And I think there's another huge wrong, even though I'm more I, I'm not as angry at it as you, too. The notion that like the bishops in America weren't given much notice or the correction, they just find it essentially when we all find well, it. Well, there was really a Spanish difficult. bishop, yeah. a Spanish bishop who gave a, an interview to Catholic news agency and say, look, I'm not opposed to the basic message here. Yeah. But where's the synodality? I saw this that. Is, that was interesting. Yeah. This is an issue of extreme importance to the church on a hot button issue. We just mm -hmm. finished the stupid synod on synodality a month ago where the topic came up and there was such pushback against it that it didn't even show up in the final document, mm -hmm. right? That's how controversial it was. So what does the Vatican of synodality, the Pope of synodality decide to do? He decides to ignore all of that, to issue a document that doesn't pay a damn bit of attention to what the bishops around the world think or want. And he just lays it out there, thud, because his semi-pornographic buddy, Fernandez, wanted to valorize, wanted to valorize gay sex. And that's was there, clearly was there any bold move to try and like meet the Germans, you know, to try oh, and give stop me a break. Right there. Okay. In 2021, they already met the Germans. Uh -huh. the, the, the DDF published a document in 2021 that said this to the Germans. Nine. Mm -hmm. You may not do this. Mm -hmm. Stop. OK, why did they need now another? Day? We're going to hey, we're going to meet you halfway. We don't want you doing these marital blessings. Yeah. We, we've we've invented this new blessing that's not a blessing for couples that aren't really couples, individuals that present as couples but aren't couples, and we're going to bless them with a non-blessing. So we've met you halfway. So please now stop what you're doing. Well, Once again, the, the timing too, though it was it was just a couple of days before Christmas. Yeah, right, right before. So yeah, Christmas. say more about that. Which right. is, I mean. I mean, that's the they thing. Would sneak it like Larry the said, you know, these guys aren't stupid. Uh -huh. They know they knew what was going to happen, right? And and why would they? I mean, if it's going to be this potentially scandalous a document, you know, the last don't do it before Easter and don't do it before Christmas, yeah. right? Find another, find the, the some some Sunday in ordinary time, and then we'll talk about it. But we let's talk about let's talk about confusion. Right confusion or like lack of clarity as so i just mentioned this father I, dylan he was a scripture scholar i remember a parish talk he gave because he was so worried about people becoming again the new sanctity neither wants to command nor obey father ed dylan would look at his friends one of whom had a major motion picture made about his ministry which father ed shared in philadelphia but father ed said of this priest like he never had the common sense to lose his following and this Father Ed, who I think was getting towards the new form of sanity, he I remember a talk he gave on, I forget the subject of scripture. He was an Old Testament scholar, but he was talking in Lent and everybody was hanging on every word he said. <laughs> and the guy knew it. He just said, and it's confusing, but he said, uh, you know, he conjectured that Barabbas, we're going to get the joke. Barabbas was Jesus's son, right? But he's just there to mess with people, son of Abba. Um, 
And he's just wants, and the whole point is throw a little time bomb. Now that's not Francis. Yeah. I think he's Janus based. He's got his friends, whatever the St. Gallen group, the St. Gallen mafia who got him in there. There's probably favors such that like, you know, little end notes in certain documents. And then I see more than like left or right, the bottom up thing, he's from a different continent, South America. This is a new thing. And again, what I want to say about synodality is the difference between me and I'm not going to make it blood related, but symbolically where I've grown up, it always felt like the worst committee meeting. And <laughs> it did, it did, it did. Yeah, so say, yeah, yeah, right. Yeah. And um, and that's the only way we can see it. And, you know, the same John Sullivan, you'll love him, uh, Larry. He said, uh, it's uh, groups are needful. No, groups are necessary, but it's advisable not to belong to any. Right. That's great. Oh, my God. But the yeah. article I'm writing right now, the article, blog article, I'm right, it says yeah. that committees are constitutively and ontologically evil and there's no way around. <laughs> but anyhow, the bottom up thing of a Pope Francis or seeing when when in the hands of the Encuentro, the Mexican community, the same process. We all know what our experience is. It's the same process now is there. And I want to say, like, I was blind, but now I see. But I'm I'm telling our listeners it's almost like they rubbed the genie's bottle and the genie bottle. Then when that happens, the sacrifices we make when we look at the leadership of the church, international, national, and everything, the sacrifices we might have to make to get to that theme, what's our theme in the American church? Liberty, bottom-up, light mixed with darkness. Um, I'm willing to say we don't have, we don't know the, the monumental epical changes we're in now clear enough to say that um, in one sense, this guy isn't some epical figure where he blows the whole thing up, which you want to do too, Larry, you know, this, uh, oh, yeah. for poetry you say, yeah, 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 yeah. I want to blow yeah. it up, but I want to blow it up. I think for different reasons than Pope Francis mm -hmm. wants to blow it up. And I'm just pissed that somebody else is also blowing it up, but in a way that I don't want it to be, yeah. well, you know, right. you know right. but here's the deal. I want to say this too, about the bottom up thing in, in yeah, Latin yeah, yeah. America and yeah. Arecibo. Yeah. How's that worked out for him? Uh, like not like well, anything. no, not, no, not well. necessarily. Uh, but, Brazil is now a, a majority Protestant nation. Oh, totally, totally. But uh, some of us think you know we we can't go back on that because the top down thing is just so disastrous now. It's one of these oh, and I'm not arguing for top yeah, down. Yeah, yeah. What I'm saying is once again, what's the model that they have adopted in terms of bottom up? What's yeah. the model there? Is it the model of sanctity? Is it the model of real? Based Christian communities? Is it the model really of Christologically centered revolution of the heart and the soul, like Dorothy Day said? Or, or is it warmed over therapeutic pablum, which is why they've all run off to Pentecostal denominations seeking the supernatural? Because the church stopped giving them the supernatural. It stopped okay. giving them the gospel. It started giving them social gobbledygook. I think and I lived important. in Latin America. Yeah. I know I, I saw it firsthand. You can right? have one without the other. I think you can have the bottom up without <clears throat> that. You can have both. That's that's the whole patroness of Our Lady of Guadalupe. Totally bottom up. Yeah. Totally so I think right now, Michael, I think yeah. there are two trends in Latin America. Yeah. And it's you're right. All the mojo, baby. Hmm. Yeah. Yeah. All the mojo yeah. Yeah. is yeah. from yeah. the bottom the up. And I agree. The top yeah. down stuff, dead, dead as disco. But but. We have to make sure that what we're doing and constructing from the bottom up isn't in a sense simply equating the census fidelium, equating the movement of the Holy Spirit with whatever blut und erde ideologies are floating around right now. Agreed, agreed. Uh, and, and, and I'm afraid that's, that's all too often what's happening down there. 
There's a reason why Pope Francis has never gone back to Argentina, and it's because they can't stand him there. They hate him and he knows it. And, and, and the reason why is because his leadership style was absolutely autocratic. That's my understanding. Yeah. 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 Now, here's the thing, guys. Epical figure so, for me. Yeah. Contradictory figure. So when I now I was like Larry, the beginning of Francis's pontificate, I was like when he uh when the first encyclical came out, what was it called? Uh La Dote C. La Dote C. Uh our 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 well, my former friend Archer Rossman asked me to write <laughs> something about it. We're seeing other people now. But uh and I wrote something for his blog on Laudato Si, and it was, was you, and I was excited about it. it was it's in fact I kept looking through the footnotes. Is did he quote me in here? I think he's ripping me off. Which blog? Cosmos, the and the in lost or whatever it was. Yes. Yeah. Okay. And uh, so I was, you know, it, it, excited at first, but then over time I said, like, this guy can't. He's like he's like Joe Biden. <laughs> he's. Why are why do they let him talk in, in public? But what I've been seeing for the last couple of years, and this has really hit me during the COVID days, right? With the when you could COVID thing is so so well, you, bad. you, you couldn't so be an employee so employee at the Vatican yeah. without being fully vaccinated. Yeah, the Swiss Army. I mean, the Swiss Guards were just. And then where yeah. you know, then the the vaccinations an act of love. Come on, the worst thing. And, ever. But it seems like he's really been singing out of the World Economic Forum hymn hymn book. I find yeah, even Laudate C. Cyclical and, the same, or this re yeah. recent document is the same thing. Let me, yeah. Yeah. Let me, yeah. Uh, in June of this past year, June 2023, Carrie and I, my wife, we were in Rome. Excuse me, a second. And I had chili for supper. It's, it's, <laughs> it's bothering me. Anyway, when we were in Rome in June, it, we were just on vacation. It was our 25th wedding anniversary. And uh, we just happened to be there, uh, coincide at a time when the Vatican, at a cost of about 800,000 euro, was hosting the uh, World Meeting of Fraternity. And uh, they were setting up the Via della Conciliazione, the main drag there leading up to the Vatican, all kinds of booths. They, you could, it was clear. All kinds of vendors were going to be there. They were expecting 100,000 people or more. And, and so on. It, very, virtually nobody showed up. But that's not the point. The point is that all the banners on all of the tents and kiosks and everything, not one of them mentioned the word Christ, Jesus. It's a problem. God. God. It was all, it might as well have been fraternité, equalité, liberté. That's what it was. In fact, the word inclusion was everywhere. Inclusion, inclusion, diversity. It could have been set up by the DEI office of any, of Harvard. <laughs> all right. Yeah. And, and, and that, and so it goes to Mike, Michael's point, And I think he's absolutely right. It seems to me uh, that this papacy and you see it in Fratelli Tutti a little bit, although I'm not a huge critic of Fratelli Tutti, uh, I, I can defend it against its worst critics. There's a Christian element there. Uh, in other words, I, you know, I don't think the Pope's a heretic and I don't think the, I'm not a say de vacantist and I don't think he's the antichrist. I don't think he's the worst Pope who's ever been, uh, and so on and so on, as, as the trad critique would go, although I don't like him very much at all, because I do think he's a globalist. I think he's a globalist. That's where I, I struggle with him. That's where I struggle with him. And again, I see him more Janus faced, but it's hard to say that, like, you're bought out, but you're trying to get it, trying to do. That's where, you know, it's apocalyptic and weird as I get. I, only it's because I think we can go through epical changes. You know, the same Father Ed and I were always talking about Chesterton's five deaths of the face. 
you know, we don't have to, it's already died five times already. It didn't get sick and get better. It died. So that, that helps thinking because to say what I want to say, which I mean in no more with no more seriousness and, you know, we can name them. It was for him. It was Pentecost, the Aryan crisis, the Alba Jim Jim French revolution. He said it was died and came back, but I use the prophecies of St. Malachi to say that Pope Francis is Peter II only for poetry in the same way as Chesterton's five deaths of the faith that hopefully, hopefully Francis is kind of, you could say schizophrenic. I say Janus face looking both ways, probably trying to fight somebody here, maybe indulge a little power trip, but trying to throw some power back to the bottom is uh, maybe this is the last way of doing papacy in this way, post-Constantine, post-Charlemagne, that I'm open to an epical shift like that. I'm not so sure we can get, to your point, Larry, I'm not so sure we can get from point A to point B without that type of epical shift. How could a leader do it? Because I was going to ask you, if we if we use scale and instead of the church being set free from kind of an addiction to authority, we just took that young person who comes into your class, Michael, your class, Larry, and they wanted to talk about a problem. In my first year in campus ministry, I knew there's things called disabling professions. That's how Ivan Illich described this modern era. So as to name it like we'd name a demon so we can cast it out. But how do you set somebody free from their ad- addiction to you for their what they think is their mental health? You know, how do you get rid of your own authority? Um, how do you well, get power back to get rid of it? No, that's I don't thing. think they intend to, but I think we see some of these gestures. And if all he's doing is blowing it all up, we know we have but to start I, from the bottom. And, and I, you know, and I have to say, I mean, one of the things that really rubbed me the wrong way, and I, I didn't, it's never sat well with me, is in how easily the bishops dispensed with the Sunday ab- obligation under the COVID restrictions and acted like it was no big deal. And okay, you can come back now because we said so. Dispensing you know, it was great when they wanted it I back. It was, and I, it was a relapse. But I wanted to see. Yeah. I wanted to see the Church of the Catacombs. I wanted to see the underground, mm-hmm. and I didn't see it. No, I, didn't I know. Either. I know one. There were. I'm sure there were. There were some out there. But I. I, I know this one Episcopalian priest who lives in California, and I was. I was complaining about this to him, and what he did. His bishop told him he couldn't have mass at his church, so I said, okay, so. He, since it's California, he hooked up with, there was a Catholic uh, convent down the, down the road a little bit, and he asked the sisters if he, if he could have mass in their garden. <laughs> so he did, and his parishioners came there, right? I didn't see any of that, and I'm sure there must have been someplace, but, that, you know, this uh, this top-down model, you know, that that's... And that's, no, there's got to be some way to, to, well, I know there is, but by ignoring them, you take away their power, right? Yeah, I think that's true. But, you know, all my ranting and raving about this Pope aside, Mike Sauter, mm-hmm. uh, I agree with you 1 million percent that there's a Janus face to Pope. Pope Francis is an irreducibly contradictory human being. Uh, there are profound and deep theological impulses in the guy yeah. combined with unbelievable stupidity and mor- moronic superficialities. Yeah. All right. So he combines this deep and profound theological insight about the Metaxu, about the in-between, about Guardini's threshold that he studied and, uh-huh. he, and he gets all, and then, and then talks insane, stupid nonsense about, 
you know. Early on, he said just read Dostoevsky and like Heinrich Heine and stuff like that. Yeah, so that's why, you know, at at first I was defending him. And then after a while, I just got kicked in the Mm -hmm. enough times. that I just said, okay, uh, what what the heck is going on here? So Uh I don't really know. I think he's I actually think he's of two minds. And 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 that's fine. Some people are some people just, you know, I I think he's ill suited to the office of Petrine ministry Mm -hmm. for that reason. But all that aside. I think there's something to be said. Sean Blanchard, and a friend of mine, theologian, uh, you probably know him. You may. I, I don't actually. I don't even know the name. I think yeah. he's kind of a new polity sort of oh, guy. Oh yeah, I like that stuff. Uh, he. Uh, we have to talk about art- that sometime. Yeah. He had an article in Commonweal Magazine, in where he's trying to explain this Janus-like quality of Pope mm-hmm. Francis, and and he says, in his opinion, what, what this is is Pope Francis. The contradiction that is Pope Francis is that. He can be explained by the fact that he's attempting to deconstruct papal authority through the use of papal authority. In I other words, partially true. Yeah, he realizes that in a church that is as top down heavy and centralized in the papacy as the Catholicism is, mm-hmm. the only way to change that is to use it against itself. Yeah, yeah. Uh, and, and, that's, and that he doesn't want to do it directly, mm-hmm. but sort of indirectly yeah. by a slow process of drift. And so he drew from his sort of Peronist background mm-hmm, that there's there's a way to sow confusion <clears throat> that actually has a method in its madness. But that's and the, I don't think it's five That's the ahead, thing that yeah. sowing of confusion is the exact same thing that all governments across the West did over COVID. Exactly. Yeah. But it's also the worst being the corruption of the best. It's also what Socrates did. It's also what Ivan Illich did. It was also what great teachers did. But well, it's also, it's a lie. This is why when I was talking with Kale Zeldin, I said, there's deception then. This is deceptive. This is mendacious. This is not befitting of the chair of St. Peter for a pope to, in a sense, employ, as in the movie Amelie, stratagems, okay? He, 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 we don't want a pope of stratagems in, in this kind of super Peronist clever way. We want your speech to be yes or no. And so the confusion, and Michael's right, with regard to COVID, with regard to the World Economic Forum and so on, the globalist tendencies. I'm sorry, I'm, my, my point is, I understand your point, Michael and, uh, and Mar- Mar- uh, uh, Sauter, and I understand Blanchard's article. I'm just not certain that I'm sold. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I'm not certain that I'm sold on that thesis. I'm more sold on the canonist Edward Penton's thesis that regardless of what this Pope's inscrutable motivations might be, there is a providential divine purpose at play here. Mm -hmm. And that providential divine purpose is that after a hundred years of these simmering, festering debates within institutional Catholicism of progressives versus traditionalists versus conservatives versus communio. These things are all erupting now and coming out into the open. We're lancing the boil. The pus is is out. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And perhaps to go to Michael Martin's point, the end result after divine providence is done with us here in this current moment is truly a spirit-filled deinstitutionalization that is long overdue. We all agree to that. You know, Larry, you are so easy. An hour and a half goes by so fast uh, that I'm going to take. 
I'm going to presume you're willing to come on again sometime soon. It's so oh, heck. Yeah. yeah if you'll still have me after all of my rantings and raving, <laughs> no, that's, yeah, the better. That's, that's the better. That's why we're asking you back. Yeah. 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 Um, yeah <laughs> okay. No, great. Yeah. Strong. This is awesome. Um, Larry, I will, I'll link people to your stuff. Do you want, is there one you want to, me to put out there in particular? You know, just Catholic my, World. just my, no, just my yeah. blog, gaudiumisbest22.com. Just yeah. link to that. And let me say this to people. Like when you're, when you're talking about from Francis, I had some lines on my computer that when you, I think it comes from your days as a teacher and I can only read them because they're beautiful. You can, maybe I could, cause people need to hear it, but it would be, um, it's possible you're going to suppose to make the, nothing Pope Francis has taught contradicts directly or explicitly these more traditional aspects of moral theology. However, there's no denying that the overall tonality and ethos of this papacy is closer to that of the priest in my confession than it is to the theological thought of John Paul II and Aquinas. Um, the Oh, here's one more. In the grand interplay, this is Larry, you know, in the grand interplay between various components that go into the making of a moral act, there are always objective and subjective considerations as part of the equation. While the tradition has always emphasized the objective pole as the proper starting point, Pope Francis and his allies have tended to treat that objective orientation as somehow expressive of a certain pastoral heartlessness and rigidity, which must now be counteracted by reforming moral theology from below. Nobody has better stated the case than you did. And that's to, to sing your praises. You know, we'll talk Thanks. about Ivan Illich and the criminalization of sin, you know, which was epical for him, where all of a sudden sin, this estrangement from God, became this thing, right? And now yeah. in the age where everybody, certainly most of our priests going into priesthood, do suffer with OCD. Um, that notion for me, again, campus ministry, the tyranny of thinking that you did something wrong and you're spending eternity in hell is ubiquitous. And this decriminalization of sin is pretty damn important to me, you know, um, but for the next time, because I think it's super cool as to let people know that uh, you're you're super intelligent, you're super opinionated, but a sur super honest interlocutor. Yeah. Well, opinionated is for right. A large personality. Yeah. Well, so thank you, everybody, for listening to the regeneration podcast michael martin anything as we sign off uh <laughs> you, yeah well actually he didn't shoot the possum that's <laughs> oh really when he went oh. out there it was gone already so we'll have, it needs to be another day awesome well uh, and we're having we're having beef heart for dinner it would it would have been great Ooh. if your son came in with the dead possum just as the end of the show i was hoping he did <laughs> yeah no of course of course <laughs> That's good. Fun. Larry Chap, thank you very much. Michael Martin, thanks again, everybody. Thanks, guys.